What is going on, guys, and welcome back to episode two of the Amazing City Podcast. I am your host, Antonio Slater, and before we get into the podcast, I have to say thank you so much for all the support and feedback for episode one. Um, it, it, it was so greatly appreciated, and I did not expect it to do as well as it did. It did not like it's blowing up or anything, but uh, it did better than I expected, so I'm just very, very appreciative of that. So uh, once again, thank you, but let's get right into episode two and what I want to talk about. So today we are talking about the X factors. Uh, baseball is all the way back, right? Games are being played. So now I feel like it's really time to start talking about this team and what needs to happen, who needs to have big years for this team to go far into the postseason. So what's going to happen is I'm going to talk about who I chose. I'm going to give a little factoid, a little tidbit that I, I did some research on. I'm also going to discuss the poll that I put on Twitter. Once again, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at The Amazing City on Twitter, or again, you can follow myself at Antonio Slater, just my name. So I'm going to start with the lineup. And obviously, there are a lot of choices that you could talk about when you're going to talk about the X factor of the lineup, an X factor of an offense. There's so many guys going to be taking valuable at bats. It's kind of, you know, pick and choose, kind of, you know, whoever you feel, right? So I thought about Francisco Lindor. I thought about Mike and Conforta because they're both tr trying to get their big contracts, their paydays, which I feel like they're both going to get, uh, hopefully before opening day. I also thought about guys like Brandon Nimmo or Jeff McNeil because they're probably going to be at the top of the line most more often than not. So they're going to be setting the table for the Lindor, Alonzo, and Conforto. Ultimately, I went with Pete Alonzo because there have been times in the two years that he's been up it seems like the way he goes, the Mets go. Whenever he's doing well, the Mets are doing well. When he is driving in runs, the Mets are off, more often than not winning games. So, like I said, I'm going to be giving in some little, little factoids, little, little fun facts about these players. I went and do some research, and turns out when Pete Alonso hits home runs, he's hit home runs in 62 games so far. In the major leagues. When he hits a home run, the Mets are 41 and 21. That is a 661 winning percentage. When he doesn't hit a home run, the Mets are 69 and 87. That's a 442 winning percentage. Now, I'm not saying that Peter Alonso needs to go out and hit a home run in every game because that's just not, it's not feasible. But like I said, when he's driving in runs and when he's doing well, and more often than not, when he's hitting the home runs, that is when he's doing well on those hot streaks. That's when the Mets are at their best. Now, he does have a little bit more help with Conforto taking a leap, with Brandon Nimmo being healthy and, and being a solid bat. McNeil's there. He has you know McCann, a bunch of offensive powers around him. However, in the past couple of years, it seems like he's been the pivotal driving force of this Mets offense. So that's just why I chose him, and it seems like you guys agree. On the poll, I gave Lindor, Alonzo, Conforto, or others, and 47.8% said Pete Alonzo. So we both agree on that, that it seems like out of the lineup, Pete Alonzo is the more important one for this team to do well and succeed. Now, that's not to you know take all pressure off of the other guys. Obviously, everyone needs to succeed top to bottom. But it just, I think the most important one is going to be Pete Alonzo. 
The one area where I think Alonzo can really improve is hitting with runners in scoring position. He's a 232 career hitter with runners in scoring position. In 2019, he was a 246 hitter. In 2020, which we all know was a down year for him, he only hit 234 with runners in scoring position. Now, that is something that he needs to improve on because I think at times, especially when he's struggling a little bit, he could be a little too reliant on going for the long ball and just trying to hit the ball 567 feet. I think he just needs to focus on just driving in the run any way possible, whether it's a a blooper, a single up the middle, a line drive the other way, whatever can possibly happen to just strive in runs is what needs to happen. Now he is, he does have a 927 OPS when it comes to runs and scoring position, which is, which is still incredible, but I still feel like he is a little reluctant to only try to hit the long ball when, when there's runners on to just drive in everyone, including himself. And this is another area where I feel like having Francisco Lindor really benefits in New York Mets because before in the past years, there hasn't been that much, uh, speed and good quality base running in front of Alonzo. Uh, again, not, not to keep on bashing on the guy, but a guy like Ahmed Rosario wasn't necessarily the best base runner. He was really quick. He, he had one of the faster um, sprint speeds in terms of all of baseball, but he wasn't the best overall base runner. And that's another area where the Mets greatly improve when they have Francisco Lindor on the bases. He's a guy that can very easily go from first to third without, you know, in, in the right situations. He, he's a guy that knows when to tag from second to third on a deep fly ball. He's a guy that can read the ball really well off the bat. So if it's, if it's a co- questionable play, he's already knowing. and He's already about to round third base before the center fielder gets the ball. So that's another area where I feel like Alonzo can improve a little bit. And that's another area where just Francisco Lindor is such a huge uh, benefit to, have, to being on the New York Mets. But ultimately, like I said, I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo for the X factor of the offense. And next, I'm actually going to go with the bullpen because this is the one that I felt like, to me, was the most obvious choice. Uh, on the poll, it seemed like everyone, not everyone, but uh, a good peop- a good amount of people agreed with me. The choices that I gave were Edwin Diaz, Seth Lugo, Del Batanzas, or you know, uh, an other which you, you can reply to. I thought about Batanzas slightly because he's just such a question mark. But for me, honestly, when it comes to X factors of the bullpen, this conversation starts and ends with Edwin Diaz. We saw his struggles in 19 and how it really kind of affected the team a little bit and, and, and you know, the struggles that came with it. But when Edwin Diaz is right and when he's striking out batters and when he's not giving up the home run, Edwin Diaz is an elite reliever. Once again, I'm going to go to a little bit of facts and research that I, that I came across. It seems like Edwin Diaz has a magic number, if you will, and that magic number is two. When Edwin Diaz allows more or two or more men to reach base when he pitches, in his five-year career, his team is 44 and 34. That's a 564 winning percentage. That's not going to get it done. And when it comes to save opportunities, he's blown 14 saves. He's 24 for 38. That's a 632 save percentage. However, when he allows one or no runners to reach base, his team is 167 and 35. 
as an 827 win percentage. When it comes to save opportunities, he's 114 for 124. When I went back and did this, I have to I had to look back at this one year in particular just because it, it blew my mind. And it was in 2018, the year before he came to the Mets. When he let he when he allowed zero or one guy to reach base, the Seattle Mariners that year were 58 and one. 58 and one. That is insane. We all know, again. It's going to be very difficult for Edwin Diaz to tap back into the that 17-18 version of him just because I feel like the pressure got to him a little bit from when he came over in 2019. But still, that is an outsane, it's an insane stat to think about. An 827 winning percentage, that's going to get you into the playoffs. So if he can just try to limit the base runners, this team is going to go a long way with Edwin Diaz in the back end of the bullpen. Let me know what you think, because I'm curious to see what other people think about it. Once again, everyone, not everyone, but a majority did agree with me. 42.1% said Edwin Diaz, followed up by 36.8% with Don Patances. And again, if I had to choose another guy, it would be him, because I feel like him having a bounce back year is very important for this team's success in 2021. But... I feel like if Edwin Diaz can tap back into the stuff that we know he has and how he was kind of getting back there last year, this team is going to go a long, long way, especially when Seth Lugo comes back from his injury. And Lugo being down only adds to the fact and the overall importance of Edwin Diaz because now with Lugo being out for probably about a month or so, that only makes Diaz's role more important because that that's going to make him have the great majority of those ninth innings and save situations. Yeah, there is Trevor May and Dylan Batanza can close out games. Familia has some experience, but he's no longer that type of pitcher. So now a heavy amount of that bulk of the workload in the ninth inning is going to be on the shoulders of Edwin Diaz. So if Edwin Diaz can get back into what he was doing from, you know, 2017, 2018 and 2020, this team is going to do well. In 2019, he had a bad year. That's that, There's no secret about that. He had a, a, like a five and a half ERA. But if you look at the underlying numbers, the, the analytics about it, it turns out that Edwin Diaz was one of the most unlucky pitchers that baseball has seen in recent years. His, his home run to fly ball rate was astronomical. It was almost unmatched. So maybe with MLB deadening the baseballs this year, maybe that can help him, help him limit the home runs, which is obviously the big bugaboo with, with Edwin Diaz. So that's what I have to say about him. Once again, let me know what you guys think about him on Twitter and, and, and with some replies to the podcast. Let me know what you think. So now we've talked about the lineup where I've picked Pete Alonso. We talked, we talked about the bullpen where I chose Edwin Diaz. But now it's time to talk about the area of the team that I had to think about the most in determining who I think is the X factor of this 2021 New York Mets team. And from top to bottom, you could really go anyway. The only one that I really ruled out off the start was Jacob DeGrom. And the reason why you can't really think about him is you know what you're getting out of him, right? You know he's going to give you excellent production because he is, again, he is the best pitcher in baseball. He's one of the best players all around in the entire league. He's been the best pitcher for the last three years. And there's no signs 
of his production dipping at all. If anything, he's been getting better, which is wild to think about. So then you have to think about the other guys that are there in the rotation with the Grom, the complementary pieces that, that he now has in that starting five or six or seven, really. So then you go down the line, the next person you think about is, is maybe a Carlos Carrasco. And the reason why I'm not going with him as my pick here is I feel like, barring health, you know, you, you feel pretty good and pretty safe about what you're going to get out of Carrasco. You're not going to get DeGrom like numbers, but you're going to get very good, stable, quality outings nine times out of ten out of Carrasco. And he he's going to be important just because I'm not picking certain guys as the quote unquote X factors or difference makers as this team doesn't mean I don't think their production is going to be important because obviously from top to bottom, from player one to player 26, they need to contribute and be productive in order for this team to do well and succeed in 2021. But the guys I'm choosing here with Pete Alonso, Edwin Diaz, and the guy that I'm about to go, go for the rotation you feel like it, it's maybe a bit more of a question mark in terms of what they're going, what you're going to get out of them, because Alonso he had a phenomenal 2019, but a bit of a dip last year. Now, granted, his quote unquote dip last year was still on pace for I think it was like 45 homers and over 115 RBIs, but there were some times where he was down and he was down bad. You saw it, it with his body language. He ground out and then it looked like his his puppy just died it's and then you just you just need a little bit you need more you need closer to 2019 format of pete alonso than out of 2020 with edwin diaz 2019 again he was he wasn't good he was very unlucky but the production that you're getting out of diaz in the back end of the bullpen was not what you needed to be a championship caliber team and now i'm going to i'm going through the rest of the rotation you know you're going to get at a Grom. You feel pretty good about Carrasco. There is Cindergard, who I really thought about here, and if you go to the poll, was actually one of these uh, one of the the comments that I got was Noah Cindergard, and the reason why I didn't pick Cindergard, if he was healthy the entire season, more than likely I pick Cindergard as the X factor here, but he's going to be missing the first two months. He's going to be out until June at the earliest, so I feel like I can't really call him the X factor when we don't know when he's even going to be able to go full bore without any uh, pitching restrictions, without a, a pitch count or innings limit. Then you have guys like a, a Peterson, Yamamoto, Lucchese, and Walker, where they're kind of in the same boat, but kind of flipped. With with Taiwan Walker, as I said last week, more often, more likely than not, he's going to have to get shut down or be on an innings limit just because of his injury history and how little he's actually pitched the past three, four, five years. So although he is a new addition and it's someone that you need to rely on when he is pitching, I can't really call him the X factor because I don't see him pitching the entire season. When it comes to Yamamoto, Lucchese and Peterson, it's kind of the same situation where you don't, they're not going to be out there the entire time. So I can't really, you know, fall them call them the X factor of the team. And that leaves one guy and one guy only, and that is Marcus Stroman. And just like Edwin Diaz, he also has a bit of a magic number, if you will. And for him, that magic number is six. 
when Marcus Stroman goes six innings or more throughout his entire career from 2014 to now, his team is 52 and 34 for a 604 winning percentage. But when he goes less than six innings, that drops to 19 and 34 for a 358 winning percentage. Now, this isn't rocket science, what I'm saying here. When you're when you're sluggers, you're cleanup hitters, and the guy in the middle of the order, when they're hitting home runs and driving in runs, you're going to win games. When you're closers, you're shut out, you're shut down guys in the back end of the bullpen. When they're limiting their base runners, they're going to win games. And when your starting pitchers go deep into games, obviously it's giving your team a better chance to win. But it seems like with Marcus Stroman, it's very it's it's either one way or the other, right? I think he's going to have a great year because it just seems like the way he's gone and and with the videos that he's posted on social media, which obviously isn't everything, but I, there is something to it. With what he's posted out there and just the way that he has the work ethic, it just seems like this is the year where he could potentially take the next step to be one of the better pitchers in baseball. He worked his ass off. He potentially, I, I'm going to go out and let me say, he probably works harder than almost everyone on this team with the exception of maybe a Francisco Lindor. Another thing that you need to think about with Stroman, another reason why I picked him, just like Lindor, just like Conforto, and to an extent, just like Syndergaard, he's playing for a new contract. He's pitching under the qualifying offer this year, making $18.9 million. But after that, he is a free agent. So this year is a very big year for him. He, among many other guys, including Trevor, Trevor Bauer, going into his age 30 season. So it's not like he has 10 plus years left. He might, but odds are he doesn't. He might have one, maybe two contracts left before he hangs it up. So he's going to play for a new deal. Every time someone's on, on, on the, the expiring contract, you expect them to have their biggest years. And that is what the Mets need from Marcus Stroman. Again, guys, the numbers don't lie. When he goes deeper into games, again, it's no rocket science, but the team is going to do better. To put this in a little bit of perspective, like I said, when Marcus Stroman goes six innings or more, his team's winning percentage is 604. That's a playoff team right there. For comparison, going back to 2019, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Atlanta Braves both had 95, 96, I'm sorry, 96 and 97 wins respectively. Those were 597 and 599 winning percentage. So a 600 winning percentage, you're winning 100 games. If you win 100 games, you win this division. Also, again, going back to someone like Edwin Diaz. Now, an 827 winning percentage is unrealistic. That's that's otherworldly. But that's, obviously, if he can keep it closed in the back end of the bullpen there, again, especially with Lugo out, this team will make the playoffs. And then with Pete Alonso in the games where he hits home runs, 661. If these things continue to happen, this team will do well. And they will make a long run into the postseason. And then one last thing on Stroman. Two times in his career has he pitched more than 200 innings. 
back in Toronto in 2016 and 17, he had back-to-back years of going over 200 innings. Another little note that I found out. In the past three years, 43 players have gone over 200 innings. And just about half of those times, 21 out of the 43, if a team has a guy that goes 200 innings or more, they're a playoff team. And then to add on top of that, in those same three years, from 17 to 19, I'm not, I'm not counting 2020 because obviously no one's going to go over 200 innings. Eight different times in those three years did one team have two players go over the 200-inning plateau. Of those eight instances, six of the eight times did that team go to the postseason. Now, like I said before, obviously that's not going to – this isn't – earth-shattering news that I'm that I'm saying here. However, I just find it very interesting, especially when you take into account that this New York Mets team now has three different players that at some point or another in their career has gone over that 200-inning mark. Like I said with Marcus Stroman, in 2016 and 17, back-to-back years, he went over 200 innings. Carlos Carrasco did it also in 2017. And then there's Jacob deGrom, who has done it three years in a row, 17, 18, and 19. Three, the past three full seasons, he has eclipsed 200 innings. And in 2019, Noah Syndergaard got damn close. He was two and a third innings shy of reaching 200 innings. So I'm not saying that one of these, that, that, that would definitely happen, but if this team can have one or two guys eclipse 200 innings on top of Pete Alonso driving in more runs, being better with runs in scoring position, hitting home runs, with Edwin Diaz limiting the amount of run, uh, runners that reach base when he pitches, and Marcus Stroman, among others, going deeper into games, this team will be a force. The numbers are right there, people. And I think there's one other thing that I think people aren't really talking about that's really, really, if you want to call him an X factor, and he's not even a player. There's one guy that's returning to this team this year that wasn't here last year, and that is Chili Davis, the hitting coach. I think when you look at some of the hit, the, the struggles that happened last year offensively, I think some of it can be attributed to Chili Davis not being there. Now, I know last year was just a disaster, for so many different reasons. But I think when you look at some of the struggles that happened, primarily with runners in scoring position, I think some of it could be attributed to Chili Davis not being there. When you look at the stats from 2019, the Mets hit 263 as a team with runners in scoring position. That's 13th in all of baseball, and that's 7th in the National League. Last year, with the, with the whatever you want to call of, of 2020, they hit 243, and I mean, the first half to 40 games of the year, it was historically bad. So they picked it up to 243, which ended up being 23rd in baseball and 12th in the National League. There were a lot of factors as to why some of the bats were down last year, but again, I really think one of the reasons why they were so bad for so long was because of Chili Davis not being there and they weren't having the simple approach that he was applying. 
But that is all I have today. That is all I have for this week for episode two of the Amazing City Podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Antonio Slater. Uh, let me know what you think of this episode on Twitter. Uh, you can you can listen to the podcast on all different forms, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. It's on a bunch of other ones. Uh, I'll, I'll post it over on Twitter as well. Uh, again, you can follow the show on Twitter at The Amazing City or follow myself at Antonio Slater. Thank you so much, guys, for, for listening to this one, and, and I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you next week.